Well, if you please take your Bibles at this time and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 21 this morning in verses 1 through 11. We're starting a new series today. We're continuing in the Gospel of Matthew, but we're in a new section in the Gospel of Matthew. And so our new series is called Jesus in Jerusalem. Jesus in Jerusalem. And uh, you, may, you may remember this chart that uh, we put up at the beginning of our last series. Uh, I'll, if we can put that chart up on the screen, there we go. And uh, this shows one possible way that you can structure the different chapters uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. We call this type of structure a chiasm. And the way a chiasm works is it's just a way of ordering your material in, in such a way that the structure flows forward to a central point and then it reverses itself uh, after that central point. And uh, you know, here you'll, you'll notice the, the, the opening section of the Gospel of Matthew is what? Jesus' birth. What's the closing section that mirrors that? Jesus' death and resurrection. You step in one, chapters 3 and 4 had to do with Jesus in Galilee. And then the next to the last section that we're starting now is Jesus in Jerusalem. And you can see how each section mirrors each other within the Gospel of Matthew. Another thing you'll notice as we enter this new section is how Matthew really begins to focus now on the final days of Jesus' life. This final week of Jesus' life in Jerusalem is so important uh, that Matthew takes five whole chapters uh, to record the story, to tell the story. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Put that in perspective. Matthew has just taken 20 chapters to record the first 33 years of Jesus' life. Now he's going to take five chapters just on one week. And then when you get to the end of those five chapters, several chapters more just focusing on the last day and the last hours of Jesus' life. As you get closer and closer to the end, we get more and more detail in Scripture. Today's passage relates to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's an event we normally celebrate on Palm Sunday. And uh, I, you know, I guess we do Christmas in July sometimes. We'll do Palm Sunday in October today. Uh, but it, you know, it, we've got to get Jesus into Jerusalem if we're going to look at Jesus in Jerusalem, right? And uh, we're going to look at all 11 verses, verses 1 through 11 in the message. But to get started, I just want to read verses 10 and 11. Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 21 and verses 10 and 11. When Jesus entered Jerusalem... The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as uh, we look at this uh, wonderful triumphal entry uh, today, I pray, Lord, that not only would we just be caught up in the excitement and the fervor of the crowds, but you would also teach us the meaning and some of the symbolism behind uh, the events and the actions and the objects uh, that we find in our passage today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Okay, folks, we did it. We made it. We're finally there. Where? Jerusalem, right? We've been working our way towards Jerusalem with Jesus since, oh, way back in Matthew 16. Matthew 16 is when Jesus first told his disciples uh, he was heading to Jerusalem. You might remember several things happened in that chapter in very quick succession. First, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Interesting, because when Jesus enters Jerusalem, what's the question everybody asks? Who is this? 
Who is this? But Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter had the answer, remember? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus pronounced a blessing on Peter. He spoke about the building of his church. And then he warned the disciples not to tell anyone. He said, yeah, Peter, you're right. I am the Christ. I'm the Messiah. Don't tell anyone. He told them to be, keep it a secret. Then we read this in Matthew 16, 21. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And so as we finally reach Jerusalem now, as we look at the triumphal entry, as we uh, enter into all of the excitement and see all the people cheering Jesus on, we need to remember that five days after this event that we're looking at today, five days later, Jesus would be dying on the cross. And Jesus knew that in advance. He knew it long before he got to Jerusalem. He knew he was heading to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And yet he still went, and he did that for you and for me. So our passage today begins with an unlikely detail, although it's one that we're very familiar with if we know Palm Sunday. And this is Jesus approaching the city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. So look at verses 1 through 3 with me as we get started now. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. So they're getting close to Jerusalem now. They're they're getting ready to enter the city. What does Jesus do? He sends two of his disciples ahead of him, tells them, Go get the donkey. If anybody gives you any trouble, just tell them, I need the donkey. They'll, they'll let you take the donkey. And You might be wondering, what's so important about the donkey? How does the donkey fit into all of this? Well, I want you to notice a couple of things from our verses. First of all, notice where Jesus is standing. Where he's standing when he sends the disciples uh, off to get the donkey. They're at Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Bethphage is close to the town of Bethany. You might remember Bethany is where Jesus worked his greatest miracle so far, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And this miracle had many people talking and wondering, you know, could this be the Messiah? Is Jesus the Messiah? And then the Mount of Olives, this is a very important geographical marker when it comes to the Messiah in biblical prophecy. Uh, In the Old Testament, one of the identifiers of the Messiah is that he comes to and from the Mount of Olives. Now, you've got to remember, up to this point, Jesus has been hiding the fact that he is the Messiah. He's been hiding that fact from the people. But now he is ready to go public. Uh, He's no longer hiding who he is. He is willing to make his identity known. He is the Messiah who has come, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, He is the king who is coming to his people. But he's not the kind of king that the people are expecting. They always expected when Messiah came, he would come as a conquering king. And that he would release them from their oppressors, in in this case the Roman Empire. And so what does Jesus do? 
he sends his disciples ahead to get the donkey. Because for Jesus, it's all about the donkey. And the reason why is this. When a king rode into a city on a donkey, that was a symbol of gentleness and peace. Gentleness and peace. I'll give you an example. When King Solomon became king, uh, we read how he rode a, a mule uh, to his anointing. Why? Because he came in peace. He wasn't conquering the city. He was the next king in line of succession. Jesus is presenting himself to the people as Messiah. He stands at Bethphage where uh, he rose Lazarus from the dead. He, he stands in the Mount of Olives, which figures in Messianic prophecy. Um, he calls for the donkey because he's going to ride in as a king, but he, he's going to be a different type of Messiah than what the people expect. He's not come to make war. He comes to bring peace. And so he chooses the donkey. Jesus also chose the donkey in order to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Now look at the next verses with me, verses 4 and 5. Matthew writes, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And Matthew here, he's quoting a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, it's verse 9, a prophecy which foretold that Messiah would come to Jerusalem in gentleness and peace, and he would be riding on a donkey. And folks, this is remarkable, because this shows us that God's plan for the donkey stretched all the way back, right? All the way back to the Old Testament book of Zechariah. In fact, it goes back even further than that, because we find images of the donkey and the colt in other messianic prophecies dating all the way back to the book of Genesis. I mean, that's about as far back as you can go, right? Genesis chapter 49, verses 10 and 11, we read this. The scepter will not depart from Judah. That's when we first learned that the Messiah would come uh, from the tribe of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. And so even as early in Genesis, as we're getting pictures of the Messiah, we have a picture of the donkey and the colt. And then when we get to Zechariah, it becomes clearer that he's actually going to be riding uh, this colt into the city. So that's the first part of our passage now. Jesus approaches Jerusalem by donkey. Why? Because he comes in gentleness and peace. Uh, he doesn't ride a war horse in. That's what a, a conqueror would ride a war horse into the city. Uh, he comes in gentleness and peace, and he rides the donkey in fulfillment of prophecy. Now, in the next part of our passage, we get to the crowds, and we see how the crowds responded to Jesus. And uh, we, we see the crowds just are, are just uh, praising him and, and acclaiming him. And uh, the first thing we see is that they welcome him as their king. It's so really a remarkable thing that goes on here. Look at verses 6 through 8 now as the people welcome Jesus. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Let's talk through these verses for a moment now. The disciples get the donkey. They put their cloaks on the donkey. Jesus uh, uh, rides the, the colt, the young donkey, the one that's never been ridden before, is prophesied by Zechariah. 
And as the disciples do this, they know what's going on here. They know what it means to put Jesus on a donkey. You know, they know what it means when they put their cloaks on the donkey. They know that they are presenting Jesus to the people as a king. And not only do they present Jesus as king, the people now welcome Jesus as king. And we see that from their response. First, they create a royal carpet of sorts by taking their own cloaks and they're putting them down in the roadway in front of Jesus as he rides forward. And this custom also goes back to the Old Testament. Uh, uh, Old Testament times when people would put down their cloaks or, or articles of clothing on the ground before the approaching king. For example, we find uh, a, a, an example of this in uh, 2 Kings with King Yehu, 2 Kings 9.13. It says, they hurried and took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. And then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Yehu is king. Taking off your cloak, spreading it on the ground in front of someone. Have you done that for anybody lately? Probably not, right? But it was a sign of submission and respect, right? It was a sign of submission to authority. And so as the people put their cloaks down before Jesus, they're welcoming him as their king. And then the other thing that goes on is they're, they're cutting down the palm branches and, and they're laying those down on the road too. And then some of them are waving the palm branches back and forth and, in excitement. And uh, the palm branches are a sign of military victory, military victory. And so we begin to understand what kind of Messiah, what kind of king uh, the people were expecting in Jesus. If Palm Sunday was all about the donkey for Jesus, right? For the people, it was all about the palms. Yes, Jesus was riding the donkey in gentleness and peace. They weren't looking for that. They were looking for a military king who would deliver them from the power of Rome. And so the people welcome Jesus as their king, but with their own idea of a king. But then they also proclaim Jesus as Messiah. And we see this in the various phrases or titles that they attribute to Jesus. Look at verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so now the crowds are getting bigger as Jesus approaches Jerusalem. And he's got crowds of people ahead of him now. He's got crowds of people uh, behind him. And they're all shouting these these phrases, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna is, is a cry of salvation. It literally means save us, save us. And so when the people are crying out Hosanna, they're saying, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Save us, son of David. And then Son of David, as we've learned, that's another title for the Messiah. It's a messianic title. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be a direct descendant of David. He would be a son of David. Uh, He would be a king who would take the throne of his father David. He would reign forever. So when the people cry out, save us, Son of David, they're proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Now, we saw this same title applied to Jesus a couple weeks ago when we looked at the story of Jesus healing the two blind men by the side of the road. Some of you remember that. You were here for that. And uh, when they heard that these blind men, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, what did they cry out? Matthew 20, 30, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the reason they called him Son of David is because they knew that when the Messiah came, one of the signs of the Messiah is he would heal the blind. Well, they were blind. And they heard Jesus was coming by, and so they were saying, Son of David, we believe you are the Messiah. We believe you have the power to heal us. 
And so Jesus did. He healed them. And, and after he healed them, we saw how they, they, they got in line. They jumped into the crowd with everybody else. And so they're part of the crowd following Jesus into Jerusalem. You know what that means? This is pretty neat. That means that these two blind men were the first ones in the crowd to call Jesus son of David that day. Because remember, the healing of the two blind men took place the same day as, Palm, as, as the triumphal entry. Healing of the two blind men took place in the morning, triumphal entry later in the afternoon uh, when they get to Jerusalem. You know, when you're, when you're at a ball game or something like that and a cheer starts, somebody always has to start it, right? One person calls it, and another one, then everybody's calling it. Well, these two blind men call out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus heals them. Now everybody's saying, Son of David, Son of David. And then they're uh, also crying out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now this was a common way that the pilgrims would greet each other. You know, the, the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And, and this was just a traditional way of greeting. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because they were all coming to Jerusalem in the name of the Lord. But when you apply it to Jesus, it takes on an an even deeper meaning because Jesus is the Messiah who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, so the people are crying out, Hosanna, save us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Know where all those phrases come from? They're all in the Old Testament. They come from the Psalms, Psalm 118, uh, verses 25 and 26 says, O Lord, save us. That's Hosanna. That's what Hosanna means. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the Psalms, they're crying it out to God. Oh, Lord, save us. Now they're crying it out to Jesus. Hosanna, save us. And then their next cry, Hosanna in the highest, that takes us even further. You know, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the angels sang glory to God in the highest. In other words, all the way up to heaven where God dwells. Here the people are crying, Hosanna. In the highest. It shows they believe that Jesus came from God, that God had sent them the promised Messiah. And the people received Jesus as such. So that's the second part of our passage this morning. The the disciples get the donkeys. They put their cloaks on the donkeys. Jesus sits on the cloaks. They put their cloaks on the road. uh, the, The people lay their cloaks on the ground. And they're waving the palm branches, welcoming him as king. And They're crying out these messianic titles, proclaiming him as Messiah. Jesus approaches the city by donkey. He's acclaimed by the crowds. And now finally we see how the whole city was stirred up by his arrival. Look with me now at verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? Who is this? Now this is not the first time that the city of Jerusalem was stirred by the arrival of Jesus. You know when this also happened? It happened at Jesus' birth. We also find that in the Gospel of Matthew early on in the, the opening chapters. Matthew tells how the Magi, the wise men, came from the east. They came to Jerusalem. Matthew 2, verses 2 and 3, they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east. We have come to worship him. And then Matthew tells us, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When Jesus was born, it shook up Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred. 
And now it's happening all over again. As Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the whole city is stirred again. They see Jesus riding into the cities on the donkey. They see the people laying their cloaks in the road and waving the pine branches, and they're yelling, Hosanna, save us, son of David. And they ask, who is this? Who is this? Well, we've already seen the people welcome Jesus as their king. We've seen them proclaim him as Messiah. And now they also identify him as the prophet. The prophet. Look at verse 11. The crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, there are a whole lot of prophets in the Old Testament, right? God sent one prophet after another. Uh, But back in the Old Testament, Moses spoke of one particular prophet who stood above all of the rest. Moses told the people of Israel, Deuteronomy 18.15, he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to them. Listen to him. The people in the city ask, Who is this? The crowds answer, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus was the prophet like Moses, whom God raised up for the people in fulfillment of prophecy. So Jesus enters the city. He's riding on the donkey, gentleness, peace. The people are shouting out and praising, hailing him as prophet, Messiah, king. It's an amazing day. It's why we celebrate it every year on Palm Sunday. It's a joyful day. Don't you wish every day you had thousands of people in the seats just praising Jesus? Wouldn't that be amazing? Don't you wish we were doing such a good job of bringing the gospel uh, to our towns and cities that the entire city would be stirred by the arrival of the good news of Jesus? Now, remember earlier, Jesus had warned his disciples, don't tell anyone. You know, Jesus Jesus asked Peter, "Who, who, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. He said, don't tell anyone. Now the people in Jerusalem are saying, who is this? But now at the triumphal entry, as the crowd proclaims Jesus as Messiah, Jesus accepts their praise. First he says, don't tell anyone. Now he wants everyone to know. What's the difference? Because now the time is right. Jesus knows that he has come to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And he knows that when the people hail him as Messiah, prophet, and king, that this will put him on a direct collision course uh, with with the religious leaders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the very men who later that week will condemn him to death and turn him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. In fact, this whole section we're going to be looking at over uh, the next couple months, Jesus in Jerusalem, you're going to see just one conflict after another as Jesus comes into conflict with the religious leaders and how you can move from Palm Sunday and Sunday, everybody cheering Jesus, to Christ arrested Thursday night and crucified on Friday morning. Jesus knew this was all part of God's plan. And he followed God's plan regardless of circumstances. He went into Jerusalem. He knew everything that was going to happen to him. He accepted the praises of the people, knowing that everything they said was true. He stirred up the city, knowing that this would lead to his final confrontation 
with the religious leaders. Jesus knew it was ahead of him, and he walked right into it because he was obedient to the Father. That's where I'd like us to make our application of all of this today for ourselves. Because as Christians, we are called to follow Jesus, right? We're called to be followers of our Lord. And just as Jesus followed the Father, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what was waiting for him, we also must follow Jesus regardless of circumstances. You know, sometimes when you follow Jesus, the way is joyous and triumphant. We love those days. So so much joy and peace and wonder in following Christ. And yet other times it's difficult, isn't it? Following Jesus involves hardship. Sometimes it involves suffering. But either way, as we look at Jesus' example, may we also boldly proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior, even as the people got it right for that day. May we do that every day. And may we commit ourselves to following our Lord, no matter what, no matter where he leads us, no matter the circumstances. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful Palm Sunday passage. Oh, Lord, how we wish that the the people's praises uh, had continued. Although, Lord, we know that uh, your plan, your plan from all of eternity was for you to go to Jerusalem to suffer and to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, if, if you had not gone to the cross, we, w- we could not be saved. And so, Lord, we, we admire and worship your wisdom, your compassion, your sacrificial love. We thank you for all that you suffered for us so that we could be saved. We worship you this morning as Messiah, prophet, and king. And Lord, we commit ourselves to following you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.